My three-year-old son, he loves to help me cook. He has this thing where whenever I'm making something, he enjoys helping. And his favorite meal is what we had on Friday. And it's his favorite meal both because he really enjoys helping me to make it, and he also enjoys eating it. And that meal is pigs in a blanket. And we have this system of I'll cut the hot dog and stuff it with cheese, and he gets to open all the things, and he gets to wrap up the hot dogs in the croissant roll before we bake it. And on Friday when we were making it, I had the very first hot dog all ready from to go, and I got the croissant out, and he's like, all right, Daddy, I'm going to roll that bad boy up. <laughs> and it just totally made me laugh because, for one, it's a funny statement. But, and I'm sure like the, where he got it from was I probably, like the, one of the previous times we made it, all right, Luke, roll this up, bad boy up. You know, and he was just copying me, but it made me laugh because <laughs> it was funny. And the reason I share that story is I'm amazed at how much I'm enjoying being a dad. Like there are so many moments like that where it's just, this is a lot of fun. And I feel like one of my main purposes in life right now is to be his dad. Even though it's something I'm obligated to do, I really, really enjoy it. Today, we're looking at a passage where the Israelites, who part of their purpose was to be a people who obeyed God's law. And today we're going to see how they found joy in their purpose of reading God's law. I would like to invite and encourage you to find a Bible and turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. If you didn't bring one, there should be one in the pew in front of you. We're going to read the whole passage together and it'll be up on the screen. But after that, we're going to make some observations from it and I'm going to reference the text and it's not always going to be on the screen. So it's going to help you out a lot if you open up a Bible to Nehemiah chapter 8. But before we read, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word that we can read it and we can learn how you want us to live. Lord, I pray, first of all, that you would open our hearts to what you have to say to us. Lord, I, secondly, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit and help me speak your truth and only your truth this morning. And thirdly, Lord, I pray that you would help us to apply and live out the things that we learned today. Amen. Starting in Nehemiah 7 verse 73. It's the verse right before Nehemiah 8. It reads, When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the seventh day of the seventh, sorry, the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly which was made up of men, women, and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak until noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high platform built for the occasion. Beside him stood, oh man, that's a lot of really biblical names that are long and confusing. I could read them, or I could use this as an opportunity to get another clip from Lord of the Rings in. 
I think I'm going to do that. Here's actually a special features from The Hobbit where they are trying, the cast members are trying to name the 13 dwarves from that movie, and there might be a little bit of voiceover in that. How quickly can you name all of the dwarves? Ari Nari Dara Bifabafa Bamba Balan Dwalan Philly Killy Thara. Oin Gloin. Metathea. Shima. Onea. Uriah. Hokaya. Maysea. Padea. Michelle. Markaja. Hashem. Hashbadana. There are two more. Oh, uh, Zachariah and Meshulam. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites... How quickly can you name all of the dwarves? Yeshua, Bani, Shabaya, Jamin, Jacob, Shabbatai, Hodea, Messiah, Kilita, Azariah, Jobazat, Hanan, and Pelia. <laughs> Those dudes instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites, who were instructing all the people, said to them, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice foods and sweet drinks, and spend, send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, and sent portions of food to others and celebrated with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the scribe to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves booths on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built booths and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated like this. And their joy was very great. Day after day, the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the feast for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. From this passage, we see that the reading of the word of God sparked a revival among the people of Israel. Today, I want to notice three observations 
from the way that God's people responded to God's word and see how these observations can help bring vitality to our reading of God's word. The first observation is that the people enjoy the reading of God's word. Notice in verse 1 that they told Ezra to read from the book of law. This is not something Ezra like, like stood up there and said, I'm doing this, you guys are going to listen. They asked for it. They wanted Ezra to read the book of law to them. And they took the initiative to get this done. And it says that all the people assembled as one man. It says that this was for men, women, and children who were able to understand. So this wasn't just a few select people that wanted to hear the word of God. Here's the David Teller translation of what it means when all the people assembled. It means all the people assembled, right? They all came, and the entire city is passionate about hearing God's word. They want to hear what it has to say for them. And it says in verse 3 that they listened intentively, attentively. They weren't just glazed over. They were actually listening to it. One of the things that I've really been enjoying doing lately is listening to audiobooks, which are basically books that are read and you can listen to them. Hence the term audiobooks. They're pretty cool. Um, and I listen to them whenever I'm driving. I put them on my car, and if there's nobody with me, chances are I'm listening to an audiobook. And recently, I've been listening to um, The Lord of the Rings, which I bet you wouldn't have guessed that. Um, and it's really fascinating for me because I'm, I'm really familiar with the movies. I've probably seen them, well, a good number of times. But I haven't read the books since I was in high school, which was like 10 years ago. And so I'm much more familiar with, you know, the movies by Peter Jackson than the book itself. And it's really intriguing to me to hear all the differences between the two. And I find myself, even though I'm driving by myself, saying out loud, like, that's interesting. Oh, oh, cool. I didn't know that's how that really happened. You know, like, and I find myself just really engrossed in the story. And it makes me think how there's something about really good media, like a song or a book or that movie that just grabs your attention and it moves something inside of you. And you become emotionally invested in that story. And I think it's that kind of mmm that the people are reading and listening to the word of God here. And we see that multiple times throughout this passage. First of all, we see in verse 5 that as it's being read, the people stand up to give it respect. We see in verse 6 that after Ezra is done reading it, that the people raise their hands and they say, Amen, Amen. And then they bow down in worship. We see in verse 9 that as the law is being read, that the people start to weep. They're crying. And I think what's happening is as the law, the things that they're supposed to be doing is read to them, they realize we haven't been doing that. And they're grieved by their sin to the point of weeping. 
And we see in verse 12 that they celebrate with great joy because now they understand the words that have been known to them. When the, the people of Israel hear the word, they're not just like, oh, that's nice. They are emotionally invested in what God's word has to say to them. And they respond with emotions. When is the last time you were moved by your own reading of Scripture? I think that's the kind of reading that God wants us to do when we open up His Word. And I think one of the best ways we can do that is develop skill in our reading of God's Word. And the best way to develop any skill is practice. So, my first point of application for you today is to practice reading God's Word by having an intentional Bible reading plan that you follow. One of the greatest things that I'm seeing in my life this year, in 2014, is on January 5th, I put out a challenge for all the high school students. And I said, I'm going to start reading this one year through the Bible reading plan. And I want to challenge you to join me and read with me. And since January 5th, I have not missed a day. And I am just loving the reading so much. And I, I feel like I could preach a whole sermon on some of the things that I've seen God do in my life just from reading his word every single day. It's been awesome. But I'm just going to tell you it's been really, really awesome. And today, I want to invite you to join me on that reading plan. After this service, I'm going to be out, you know, the door that you came in, shaking your hand and saying, thanks for coming. And I'm going to have with me some sheets of paper with that Bible reading plan. And if you would like one, just ask me and I'll give it to you. And one of the other really cool things about this plan is that there's an app for either Apple or an Android device that you can set it up on your plan and you can have your phone or your tablet remind you hey, you're supposed to read your Bible today. And then you can just click that reminder and go right to the thing you're supposed to be reading. And you can read it and then it tells you when you're done and then you can even like post your reflections on Facebook, which is one of the things that I've been doing, which I have found to be really good because it helps me to um, really think through what I'm reading. There are two rules, though, if you want to join this plan. The first is that you have to allow it to be a guilt-free plan. This means that if you miss a day, you're not allowed to go back and read that missed section. Because here's what happens. Oftentimes, when we miss and we get behind, we start to feel guilty about that. And we say, oh man, and we are so focused on going back and trying to catch up that it becomes about checking off the list and doing what the plan says rather than approaching it and saying, okay, God, what do you have for me today? And so that's the first rule. It's got to be guilt-free and that if you miss a day, you say, all right, I missed a day. I'm just going to pick up where I left off. If you miss a week, you say, not where you left off. I'm sorry. If you miss a week, you just get up and you say, okay, what is the plan for today's date? If you miss a month or two months, you say, all right, I'm not going to feel guilty. I'm just going to read what's there today. And I think guilt can be one of the greatest killers of our momentum in reading that. And if we can say, I missed it, oh well, I'm just going to take what's today, it takes that 
momentum killer way. The second rule is that you have to share what you read with others. I think one of the best ways you can do this is as a family, choose to read through this plan. And once a week, it doesn't have to be every day, it could be just once a week, say, hey, through your reading of God's word, through this plan, what is something that has stuck out to you? What is something that God has been teaching you through this plan? And discuss that. I know with the high school students, we, ha- we meet every Sunday night at my house from 6 to 8. And one of the things that we do is we say, hey, what did you get out of this week's reading? We talk about it. And it's, it's been really cool to hear what other people have been getting out of God's word and what we've been learning. There is a danger, though, when you follow a reading plan. And to illustrate that, I want you to imagine for a second that you are in the mood for a steak. And you decide that you're not even going to go to a store. You're going to go to a butcher. Right? And you go to him and you say, I want your finest cut of porterhouse steak. And you get this nice, thick, juicy steak. And you get one of those little pillows that the, the you know, ring bearers carry the thing on. And you got the, the steak on your pillow. And you're just like babying that thing. And you get home and you get out a gallon-sized bag and you make your favorite marinade and you let it soak in there for a week. Just so, not a week. Yeah, sure, a week. Because you want that thing to be nice and tasty. And you just wait and you let that, the steak get so juicy. I see one of our vegetarians is making a face. Imagine it's a nice, tasty salad. All right? There we go. All right. But you get that steak going and then after it's done marinated and it's all nice and ready, you go to your grill and you don't buy those cheap Walmart briskets. No. You invest in those ones that have the little wood chips in it so that it, it has the cedar f- smoked flavor into it that adds even more delicious taste. And you get the grill up nice and you sear it on one end and then you turn it over and you're watching it to make sure that it's perfect, right? And then you take the steak inside and you sit it on your plate and you're all ready for the steak. And so you throw it in the blender and then you chug it. No. But that, I think, is what it's like when we read God's word for the sole purpose of getting through it. We have something great before us. And if we don't read it to savor it, we lose a lot of the joy and the greatness that God's word has to offer. And that's how we should read it slowly and savoring it with the intention of getting something out of it, not just getting through it. The second observation that I want to bring up about how God's people were listening to God's word is that the people weren't just listening. They were also being taught God's word. And the first person that we see doing this is Ezra. Now, here's something that you need to know about Ezra. He was a very important figure. See, we've been going right now in this sermon series through the book of Nehemiah. Now, if you've been paying attention, you know that Nehemiah was a man who was very passionate about rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. He was a cupbearer under Artaxerxes. And when he found out that the walls in Jerusalem were still broken down, his heart burned to come back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. And we've been learning that 
in the last chapter of chapter 7, they finally accomplish that. The thing is, Nehemiah wasn't the only person who had a burning passion during this time in Israel's history. There were actually three, one of them being Nehemiah. The other was a guy named Zerubbabel. He probably has the coolest name out of the three. But his burning passion was to come and rebuild the temple that had been torn down. So he actually came earlier, and he, the temple is already built at this time through the passion and the efforts of Zerubbabel. The third guy is Ezra, who had a burning passion to help the people understand the law. And Ezra was a very important figure, not just for this time, but really in the history of Israel. He was probably one of the best scribes from the nation of Israel. He himself wrote a few of the books. He wrote Ezra, and he probably had a hand in Nehemiah, helping Nehemiah write his book, because he was one of the best authors of his time. And he also most likely wrote First and Second Chronicles. So we know that this guy was filled with the Holy Spirit and gifted with reading God's word and being able to share it. He was probably the most well-versed biblical scholar of this time. And he is the one doing this teaching. Now, he's not the only one, though, in this reading that we see teaching the nation of Israel. It says in verse 7 and verse 11 that the Levites taught the people. See, after Ezra was done reading, the Levites kind of went through and helped make sure that the people understood what was being read. And they helped fill in the gaps where they were confused. Then in verse 9 through 10, we see that Nehemiah was there helping to teach the people. It says that when the people were grieved from their sin, from reading the the text, it said that Nehemiah said, don't weep because of your sin. Don't feel sorry because of your shame. Rejoice because God has shown you how you should live. God is giving you the the chance to repent of your sin and to live rightly now. And so we see that these three groups or people are teaching the people and that the people of the city submit to their teaching. And I think we too can benefit much from submitting to the teaching of people who are more skilled in reading God's word than we are. And I think there are three ways. I think most of you know them because they're pretty obvious. But three ways you can do that is first, make coming to church on Sunday mornings a priority. Number two, at 9.20, we have Sunday morning classes where we dive into God's word and we can discuss things and hear teaching from people who have spent a lot of time studying God's word. And we can learn that one. The third way is to attend a Bible study or a small group. And engage God's word through that and allow other people to come alongside us and help us grow in our reading of the Bible. The third observation is that the people don't just hear the word of God and they're not just taught it. The people obey the word of God. We see again in verse 9 and 10 and through 12 that when they're told not to mourn but to celebrate, 
Guess what they do? They stop mourning and they start celebrating. They obey the word of Nehemiah here, which is told to them through Scripture. We see in verse 12 that Nehemiah tells them to share their food with each other. If somebody doesn't have food and can't partake in this feast because of that, share with them and let them do it. And we see in verse 12 that the people do that. Thirdly, we see in verse 16 that they discover that during this time, the seventh month, they're supposed to be celebrating a festival of booths. And the festival of booths is a week-long celebration where they're supposed to go and grab branches and build themselves temporary shelters and then literally move out of their homes and live in these booths. And the purpose of this was to remind themselves of the time when they were in the wilderness between Egypt and the Promised Land. And remember how they were living in temporary shelters and God took care of them. And at at the same time as they celebrate and live in these booths, they were supposed to be celebrating big feasts because this was also right after the harvest time came and the Day of Atonement. So this was a time when they moved out of their houses, lived in these huts, and celebrated how God had faithfully taken care of them. And when I was reading that, I found this kind of interesting because it seems kind of drastic. You know what I mean? I mean, when we have like Thanksgiving, we don't celebrate that drastically where we go and build ourselves a little wooden hut and live in it for a week. But I think the reason for that and why God has them do these things lies in the difference between information and knowledge. Knowledge is information that has been experienced and made known. For instance, I could tell you that Steve Coots is a really good heater repairman, right? And that's information, right? If you've never had Steve come and fix your heater, then that's just information. But if you're like me, and you wake up in the middle of the morning and your heat's not working, and you give them a call, and 20 minutes later it's fixed, you have knowledge. You've witnessed it firsthand that he's a really good heater repairman. That's the difference between information and knowledge. And God is calling this nation to experience a knowledge of what he has done through experiencing this festival of booths. And the point is, they did it. They obeyed. They went out and got branches, built themselves huts, and lived in them for a week and listened to God's law. And I think that's important for us too because the Bible is full of information. And we don't want it to just be information. We want it to become knowledge. And in order to do that, we need to read it, to meditate upon it, and obey it, to do what it calls us to do. And that's how we experience God's word. So my third point of application for you is actually not a third point of application. Because so far, we've talked about the two points are, first of all, have a, a Bible reading plan where you're intentionally reading God's word on a regular basis. Secondly, submit to teaching of the Bible from other people. 
The third one I'm just going to add to the first one. Right? And that's after you're done reading the Bible from your Bible reading plan, every time you do it, ask yourselves two questions. First, what is God trying to tell me? What does God want me to change in my life? What am I supposed to learn from this reading? And then secondly, what am I going to do about it? And come up with an action plan for actually doing what you feel God calling you to do. And I think if we can do those three things, where we intentionally get into God's word, we allow other people to teach us, and we choose to apply the things that we read, we will learn to find joy in God's word. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word and that you have given us the means to find out how you want us to live. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who love your word and who actively read it on a regular basis, that we enjoy the teaching of your word and that we take the steps to actually apply the things from your word that we learn. Lord, this morning, we want to lift up Chad's family, especially his wife Jenny and his children and his mother Bonnie. Lord, we pray that you would be with them as their hearts are heavy and that you would comfort them in this time, in this tragedy, that you would draw them closer to yourself so you can comfort them and strengthen their relationship with you. Lord, we also pray for the family of Herbert Schaefer as they mourn the loss of their grandfather and father. And Lord, we also want to lift up Bob Uncle who had triple bypass surgery on Saturday. Lord, we praise you that that surgery went well. We'd ask that you would give strength to their family and help him to have a quick recovery. And finally, Lord, we'd pray that you would help Brandon and Shelly to have a safe travel as their journey back to Wisconsin today. Lord, I pray that they would return refreshed and ready to continue their ministry here at Freedoms. Lord, right now, as we present to you our tithes and our offerings, Lord, we ask that you would bless these funds and that, that you would use them to spread the joy of your world around the world. Amen.